Well, hey, everybody. Good morning. Um, happy Sunday to you. Um, let me add my blessing and greeting to Hans and just a, a joy to be connected in some way with you from week to week. Uh, hope your family is well. Um, and uh, we're just glad that we can engage, uh, even if it's virtually in this way. Uh, my family continues to plug right along for those of you that uh, are wondering about that. Uh, I was telling Han earlier, you know, our puppies becoming a big puppy. Um, and uh, we're enjoying kind of the, the opportunity that he creates as we walk the neighborhood to engage our neighbors. Uh, reminded me how certain tools create bridges that enable uh, opportunity to connect and talk and get to know people. Um, and he's certainly doing that. And uh, it's, a, it's a really a, a nice uh, lever relational lever that invites conversation and interest. And hopefully you're having the opportunity to engage your community in some way, even if it's with a, a mask. Well, let me uh, invite you to Second Chronicles chapter 16. Uh, this is part two. Last week, I invited you to look with me at a divine principle, uh, a a reality, an axiom that's not just good for somebody in the past, but it's good for us today. Um, it's not just the things that we're going to read about. The principle is not just for them, those to whom this was written and the one to whom it was said, but it involves all of us. It's related to who God is and how God is and what God likes and will always like, what God does and always does. And uh, this is an Old Testament passage. Uh, I reflected earlier uh, that this is a pretty famous verse that we're looking at, but what's not so well known is the story behind it, the person to whom it was given, and the practice and priorities that are displayed in the context that prompted it. And uh, my prayer today, and this is as sincere as I know how to state it, my prayer is that you'll become the kind of person that invites the fulfillment of a stated passion of God. God makes a statement in this verse that reflects his passion and his priority and his pursuit. And I hope that over these last Sunday and this Sunday, uh, there'll be a conviction an awareness, uh, a resolution that says, I want to be that kind of person. I want to help fulfill that passion on behalf of God, and I also want to be the recipient of the big benefits of God, because that's what this verse involves, God's passion and the benefit that flows out of the realization of that passion, not just to him, but to us and those who connect to us, because there's a ripple effect. Not only is our life a stage for his glory, but others as a witness of that work are impacted and influenced by that work. So this is kind of a central uh, life lesson, if you will, of what it means to please the Lord and be used by the Lord. So let's just jump right in. This is part two. So I'm going to give you just a quick running start, and then we're going to jump into uh, what we didn't get to last week, because the person and the practice evolves over two plus chapters in Second Chronicles. But here's the key verse. And this was stated to the person by a prophet of God, 
really in reaction to his failure to fulfill the principle or to apply it to his life. He had forfeited the benefit, and that's why this came to him. Verse 9, 2 Chronicles chapter 16. This is the prophet of God to the man of God, the king of Judah, third king of Judah. His name is Asa. Hanani, the prophet, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord, that's an anthropologist, anthropomorphic statement. So it's likening God to a human being and that he has eyes. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth. So that has the idea of unceasing searching. It's looking, proactively searching. Verse 9, throughout the whole earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. So that's the axiomatic statement. Fact reality, truth, the nature of God, the ways of God, the passion of God promotes the search of God. And this unceasing searching for an occasion, an opportunity realized upon a heart, upon a life, upon a people, upon a family, upon a community whose heart is completely his. Some of your Bibles will say perfect. It's the Hebrew word shalain, and it means to be full or wholehearted, as if your 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 heart was a home. Uh, in in college, Brown University, I remember somebody gave me a little booklet that uh, I don't even remember the author, but it was called My Heart, Christ's Home. And it identified your heart kind of uh, as an illustration like a house. And there were rooms in the house. And the argument of this little pamphlet was every room in your house, the living room, the workshop, the study, the, the kitchen, the closets, that home needed to be completely Christ. And that's the flavor of this Hebrew word. It's it's comprehensive. It's intensive. It is a heart that is open to him. Matter of fact, one of the translations prepared completely. In other words, it's it's set up so that he can take residence, so that he uh, can, can manifest uh, uh, his glory on the stage of your heart and life. And so a heart that is completely his is a full or whole heart, completely open to the presence of will and way of God. And and then the question, and, and then that attracts God's supernatural blessing. I'm going to show myself strong on Harry's behalf if he's that kind of man, on Han, and or or put your name in there, not, not Asa, not the people of God in Judah, but your name, your family, your heart. God's looking. And if he finds someone whose heart is completely his, and we're going to look at the details of that, that's the point. He's going to pour out his strength. He's going to glorify himself. And in the passages, that the chapters that we're looking at, that's supernatural. That's not natural. It's supernatural. Supernatural peace, supernatural protection, supernatural provision, supernatural. And someone asked me a few weeks ago, well, how would that look in real time and in our real life? I'm not uh, confronted by enemies as the people of God are in this passage. Uh, I'm not dealing with the same challenges. Uh, 
Well, in principle, you are. You're dealing with conflicts. You're dealing with resistance. You're dealing with, in this case, a world turned upside down. War certainly would do that in the context of the statement that is being made for our benefit here. So you're facing challenges. You're uh, enduring uh, consequences of, of realities that are pressing in on your life. And so there's benefit, whatever your circumstance may be, the implication of this promise is that God wants to show himself strong in whatever category you're facing. It could be an internal spiritual one. It could be an external relational one. It could be a real financial one. Uh, it could be a physical health one like we are all experiencing. Um, and this is not meant so much as a, a, a guarantee in terms of how it'll work out. As we saw that in James chapter one, troubles come. And those troubles have a refining uh, potential in our life, a refining uh, impact, uh, and, and difficulty can certainly do that. But the bottom line is, here's a promise that invites the blessing of God. The question then is, what kind of person is a completely his heart person? And that's really the theology of the lessons we've been studying is a completely his heart theology a seek God heart theology. And so we learned some principles last week coming out of the life of the person. And I invite you back to chapter 14. So that's the, the principle. And we're going to look at the context. And uh, we talked last week as this, this verse, this principle was inspired and stated to Asa as a reminder of how God works. And he had actually experienced how God works by certain life lessons. And this was the consequence of the second life lesson uh, that he heard these words. So Second Chronicles 14, these are just highlights. And then I want to camp on the last two features of a completely his heart. The first feature of a completely his heart revealed in the life of Asa, and we meet him in chapter 14, verse 1, the son of Abijah slept with his fathers. They buried him in the city of David. That would be Jerusalem. His son Asa became king in his place. And I reminded you, Asa's the third king of Judah. His name means healer. And and indeed, he would be bringing healing to the land. Uh, there had been 20 years of conflict, wars continually, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, the northern tribes, and then Abijam, Abijah rather, for three years, warring against Israel, again, the northern tribes. Remember, the kingdom had been split. And so there was war, which is why it says at the end of verse 14, this defining statement, the land was undisturbed for 10 years during his days. It had been constant battle. And all the crushing effects of that battle for 20 years, 17 under Rehoboam, three years under Abijah. And now Asa comes to the throne and you have 10 years of peace. And you could even go over to chapter 15, where God talks commentarily as a commentary on what life was like before Asa. Verse 4, chapter 15, in their distress, they turned to the Lord God of Israel. They sought him. He let them find them. Verse 5, in those times, there was no peace to him who went out or him who came in, for many disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the land. So this is chapter 15, referring to life before chapter 14, the way it was. There's no 
there's distress, people aren't seeking the Lord, there's conflict, there's disturbances, and an affliction. Look at verse 6, nation was crushed by nation, city by city. In other words, there's this constant uproar, for God troubled them with every kind of distress. So that was life before Asa. So Asa, the healer, comes to the throne. And 10 years of peace, supernatural peace. And uh, verse 2 gives you the inclination as to why. Uh, and, And that why is the kind of heart and the kind of man that Asa was and the kind of life that he lived and the kind of uh, leadership that he provided. Verse 2, Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. Now, two things. He removed and he resolved. He removed idols and false worship, anything that competes with God, and he resolved to seek God, he and the people. So you have verse 3, for he removed the foreign altars, high places, tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the ashram. Those were fertility uh, idols, um, pagan places of worship set up on high places, uh, pillars and rocks, and he destroyed all that. He removed it. So number one, it's removing, and number two, it's resolving. Here's a key statement on a heart that's completely his, a seek God heart, verse four, and he commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandments. Then the reinforcing statement, verse five, he also removed the high places, the incense altars, keywords from all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was undisturbed under him. So a completely his heart is a heart that gets rid of it and a heart that gets after it, referring to the will and the ways of God found in verse 4. And then as a consequence of that supernatural peace, there's supernatural blessing. He built fortified cities, verse 6. In Judah, since the land was undisturbed, there was no one at war with him during those years because the Lord had given him rest. And you can't read this section of scripture without recognizing that war, conflict, life unrest, which is, you know, we're, we're not at war, but we are unsettled and our life has changed, our culture has changed, our rhythms have changed, our realities have changed because of this conflict in our culture, in our world related to this, this virus, this pandemic. And so having that removed would be a blessing to be able to go about life as normal, earn a living, enjoy the relationships, kind of move into a world of productivity instead of retreat and and survival. Um, that's what they would have tasted. And not after, a, you know, six months or four months or five months, whatever it is, we've been facing this. But after 20 years, they go from conflict to peace, peace, prosperity, peace, productivity, which is what you see at the end of verse 7. So there's this building campaign productivity. And then it says at the end of verse 7, Asa was given, God has given us rest on every side. So they built and they prospered. The rationale for that is given in the beginning of the the middle of verse 7, rather, the land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So there's the kind of the big principle of a completely his heart. 
It's a seek God heart. It is a get after it, his word, and it's a get rid of it heart. It's get rid of the obstacles and the barriers and the competition to God. That's the central thought of a completely his heart. Get after it, seek God in his word, uh, verse, verse 3, to observe the law, seek the Lord, observe the law and the commandment. So I'm going to seek God through his word. I'm going to apply his word. That's a completely his heart. I'm all in. And then the parallel corollary to that, which is an outworking of that resolution, is removal. I'm removing all the things that need to be removed that compete with that priority. The net effect, blessing from God. Peace, prosperity, because God brought it. That's the big idea of a completely his heart. Get after it, get rid of it. Get rid of anything that competes with it and do whatever it takes to know the word of God and apply the word of God. And then we saw last week, uh, verses 9 through 15, after 10 years of peace, there's a disturbance. I'm going to argue it's a divinely ordained disturbance to punctuate a lesson that helps Asa and the people of God realize the truth of chapter 16, verse 9, that when you're with God and you rely on God and you seek God, God supernaturally shows himself strong. And a million-man army came up against the people of God. Asa makes this famous statement in consequence of that, verse 11, he prays to the Lord, called out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one beside you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us. O Lord, our God, for we trust in you. That is a key statement. And in your name, we have come out against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Let not man prevail against you. And the net effect of that prayerful dependence, reliance, seeking the Lord, the Lord routed the enemy. The million man army was completely shattered. The people of God not only won a great victory, they enjoyed a great spoil. And the consequence of that was restored peace. So it was just a a life lesson. You seek me, there's peace. You face enemies, I'll show myself strong. Because you had a get rid of it, competition to me heart, and you had a get after it, seek me heart. The prophet of God shows up in chapter 15 and punctuates that. Chapter 15 is God wanting to make sure Asa and the people of God, and now Cornerstone at Grace Community Church and whoever else is listening, that you get this. This is the way it works. So the Spirit of God comes upon the man of God, chapter 15, and his name is Azariah. And he articulates in a you-can't-miss-this way to help Asa And anyone who wants to have a completely his heart, the principles and the practices that promote it. And we get a little more detail that characterizes a get after it heart and a get rid of it heart. Number one, verse two, this prophet of God comes out to meet Asa, says to him, listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The listen to me is, hey, get your head up, pay attention. Don't miss this. 
Listen to me. The Lord is with you when you are with him. Well, that's the completely his heart part. You're with him when you have a heart like that, and he can walk with you and display his glory through you. But if you seek him, he will let you find him. So that's the get after it. Seek him. Diligently seek him. But if you forsake him by not seeking him and by not removing competition to him, verse 2 he will forsake you. So here's kind of a specific of a get after at heart. It's a diligently seeking God heart. It's proactively pursuing God heart. Then he goes on down into <clears throat> verse seven, the second characteristic, chapter 15. He's just punctuating. He describes a little bit about the way it was and how bad it was so they could remember how important it would be to diligently seek the Lord. And then verse 7, not only does a completely his heart diligently seek him, it courageously acts in response to that seeking. A completely his heart is a diligently seeking heart, and it is a courageously acting heart, which is what you see in verse 7. But you, this is the prophet Asa, but you be strong and do not lose courage, for there's reward for your work. Those are key statements. Why? Because getting rid of the things that compete with God is hard work. It's resisted by the enemy work. It may be resisted by peers, family, friends. It may be resisted by the depravity of your own heart. It's going to take courage, Asa, to do the things you need to do to align yourself with a completely his heart. So courageously act and do the work. The effect of that work of removing and aligning your life with the ways of God, a completely his heart, it'll be rewarded. You just tasted it with the Ethiopian and his million-man army. Keep doing it. There's more work to do. And, and in, in our world, it would be the ongoing work of sanctification, the ongoing work of addressing areas of our life that emerge that compete with God. And I want you to notice because I, I noted it this week, I, I hadn't seen it earlier, um, but as soon, verse 8, when Asa heard these words and the prophecy which Azariah, the son of Oded, the prophet, spoke, when he heard it, which means he immediately acted, verse 8, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin, from the cities which he had captured in the hill country of Ephraim. And he restored the altar of the Lord, which was in front of the porch of the Lord. So a completely his heart is a diligently seeking heart. It is a courageously acting heart, and it is a immediately responding heart by radically removing, because that's what happens next, he removed all of the competition to the ways of God, all the abominable idols. Radically removing. We talked last time, verse 16 of chapter 15, even his grandmother, who was functioning in the position of queen mother, who was an idolatress, a pagan worshiper. Verse 16, even she, he removed. Ma'aka. 
the mother of King Asa, because she had made a horrid image as an Asherah. The Asherah. And Asa cut down her horrid image, crushed it, and burned it in the brook Kedron. I just want you to notice the word. Crushed it, burned it, destroyed it, shattered it. It's a ruthless, relentless, radical removing of competition to God. That's the get rid of it heart. And he demonstrated courageous acting and radically addressing the issues that competed with a heart so the Lord could pour out his glory, display his strength and enable him to know God and experience the glory of God. Because the eyes of the Lord, they, they search to and fro for a man or a people or a family or a community or a church or a fellowship group whose heart is completely his. The third or the fourth element. So you have diligently seeking, courageously acting, radically removing, and then this powerful public committee. I, I argued last week it is formally committing. It's doing it in a formal way. It's a it's an overt resolution. It's not in your quiet. It is in public. It's a declaration. It's a resolution, and that that powerful reality is seen in verse 12. So the people of God entered into the covenant to seek the covenant, to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and soul. Okay, so it's a formal commitment. It's holy. It's holy as in W-H-O-L-L-Y. It's completely a whole heart, holy. And it is a seriously uh, form of commitment. Verse 13, whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great man or woman. So it's just severe accountability, this seriousness. We're in, we're all in, you need to be in. We're doing this together. So it's a formal committing, holy, seriously, and I, I love this, uh, and passionately, um, as you see it in verse 14, moreover, they made an oath to the Lord with a loud voice, shouting and trumpets with horns, and all Israel or all Judah rather rejoiced concerning the oath, for they had sworn with their whole heart and had sought him earnestly, that's passionately, wholeheartedly, he let them find him. Verse 15, so the Lord gave them rest on every side. So 10 years of rest, this encounter, and then another extensive season of rest, 15 years of rest. Why? Because of this formal resolution, a, a commitment that was whole, serious, passionate, and joyful. And then you get to chapter 16. Verse 19, at the end of chapter 15, there was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. So the, the no more war, the peace, is a punctuation of the principle. I'm showing myself strong. This is a world that is turbulent with conflicts, not like you don't have enemies. But you have no war because I'm supernaturally, as God, showing myself strong on your behalf. The reason why? You have a get after at heart, diligently seeking, courageously acting, radically removing, formally committing. Lavishly worshiping, that's what you see at the end of chapter 15, 700, uh, 
700 oxen, 7,000 sheep from the spoil they brought to God and they sacrificed it. That's verse 11. So there's this lavish worshiping, this kind of generous giving on behalf of the people of God. But notice chapter 16, and this is where I want to punctuate the two last features of a heart that's completely his. So it's a get after it heart. It's a get rid of it heart. And then it's a stay with it heart. A loyal heart. I want you to look at chapter 16, and this is where we're going to wrap it up today. Asa, a heart that is completely his theology. Verse 16, in the 36th year of Asa's reign, so all of this time of peace, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming in to Asa, king of Judah. So you got the 10 tribes. Baasha is the king of Israel. He's been ruling for three years and he comes south. And on the border of Judah and Israel, he fortifies a city that he takes and creates a blockade to inhibit traffic on this major, major thoroughfare. So nobody can go in, nobody can come out. Whatever resources would come from the north weren't available. So Asa sees this blockade and the eminent kind of buildup on the border, which threatens the people of God, Judah. Remember, the northern tribes are pagan worshipers. They're worshiping uh, a golden calf and the false priesthood set up uh, by Jeroboam, and that continues. So they're coming down and putting pressure on the people of God in the 36th year of Asa. All right, so you have life lesson one, the million-man army defeated by relying on God. Here's life lesson number two. In the 36th year, this fortification takes place by the king of Israel, verse two. Then Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram. Some of your Bibles will say Syria, the north side of Israel, and then to the east, who lived in Damascus, saying, let there be a treaty between you and me as between my father and your father. Behold, I have sent you silver and gold. Go break your treaty with Bahasha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. Verse 4, so Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa, sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered Ijan, Dan, Abomim, and all the store cities, the places where they stored the supplies and the food of Naphtali. Then Bahasha heard of it, this treaty created between Asa and the uh, king of Aram. And Bahasha heard of it, he ceased fortifying Ramah and stopped his work. King Asa brought all Judah. They carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber, the building up tools, <clears throat> with which Bahasha had been building. And with them, he fortified Geba and Mitzpah. So here's the, here's the backstory. Life lesson number one, big army from Ethiopia, the south. I'm going to cry out to God. Life challenge number two, not totally trusting and following the Lord. I'm relying on self-sufficient solutions to address my challenges. I'm threatened. 
Asa, instead of turning to the Lord, a heart that's completely his, trusting him, relying on him, says, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to deploy a human angle. I'm going to solve my own problem. I'm going to compromise. And the reason I'm going to call it a compromise is because he, where he got the resources to, to bribe or to uh, satisfy the, the need to get this pagan king, Ben-Hadad from Aram, to partner with him and support him. He got those things, those from the treasuries, verse 2, of the house of the Lord. Now, you need to understand that when he was blessed by God with all that plunder, he didn't just worship God with lavish worship, all of those oxen and sheep. But notice what it says in verse 18 of chapter 15. He, Asa, brought into the house of God the dedicated things of his father and his own dedicated things, silver and gold and utensils. When he won the victory, he took the spoils and the resources that he had, that his father had accumulated and dedicated them as a worship gift to the treasuries of the house of the Lord in honor of the Lord. Now that he's threatened, verse 2, chapter 16, he's taking what he had given to God to give it to a pagan king to help him as the people of God. He's taking what should have been God's and using it to secure his his safety, if you will, to address his life challenge. I'm going to pay for my need out of the resources of the house of God, and I'm even going to use my resources. And 1 Kings chapter 15, which is the parallel passage in verse 18, it says he took all, all the gold and all the silver. He he emptied or bankrupted the house of God in order to purchase security, which God would have supplied, but he relied on his own strength. Here's how I see it. Life lesson number one, life challenge number one, million man army, heart that's completely his, humbly seeks God, totally trusts God, fully follows God, and he's blessed abundantly by God. Life challenge number two, I'm going to call it self-sufficient. I've got the money. It's not all my money, but I have access to resources. I'm going to solve my own problem. I'm going to be man-dependent. I'll get the help. I'll get the help on my own. I'll figure it out on my own. As if God isn't God. As if he hasn't made promises I can rely on. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Let me tell you the third implication of a heart that's completely his. It's a stay with it heart. It's a retain loyalty to God heart. Because when you get to verse, well, let's let's continue to read verse seven. At that time where this treaty is made, and you can say, wow, good move, strategic move. It was successful. The pagan king put pressure on your threat from the north. He backs off. You actually get his supplies. You fortify your cities. Man, what a great move, political move. My question is, was it successful really? Secondly, did he compromise to do it? Well, did he compromise? Yes, he did. Was it successful really? 
No, it wasn't. Listen to what the Spirit of God says through the man of God, Hanani. At that time, verse 7, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, now these are key words, a completely his heart needs to hear these words. Because you have relied on the king of Aram, or the king of Syria, and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Let me tell you what he just said. You relied on yourself, and you relied on him. The consequence of that, relying on him and yourself and not on the Lord, you forfeited an opportunity. Implication is God would have given you victory, not only of the king of Israel, but over this pagan king, the king of Aram. You forfeited that. What you could have had, you don't have. The strength you could have seen, you won't see. Watch verse 8. We're not, he's going back to life lesson number one. Hey, Asa, we're not the Ethiopians and the Lubim, an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen. Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. Did you forget that? Now you're relying on yourself. You're compromising yourself. Verse nine, here's the verse, the principle. It's now stated, ironically, as a sobering response to the failure of a completely his heart. Verse 9, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth that he, God, may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. That's the principle. But look at the end of verse 9. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. You're going to forfeit opportunity and you're going to forfeit supernatural peace and the blessing that would have been yours because you didn't display a completely his heart. You weren't a a loyal to God alone heart. Listen, the third characteristic of a heart that is completely his is a heart that stays with it. This is a steadfast and loyal heart, no matter the circumstance. This is a, I'm going to stay faithful to God heart. I'm going to stay faithful to rely on God heart. If I'm boiling, boiling down a completely his heart, it's a get after it heart. It's a get rid of a heart and it's a stay with it heart, a be faithful to God heart. Turn over with me to uh, Psalm 78, and I just want to punctuate this through a Psalm of Asaph. And uh, you you experience the flavor of this in the 78th Psalm. And and God is talking to the people of God through this inspired song of Asaph. And he's talking about how the people of God are to teach the children of God, of God's awesomeness, his ability, and the necessity of being reliant upon him, to put their confidence in this big God. And verse 5 of chapter 78 in the psalm says, God established a testimony in Jacob. He appointed a law in Israel, and he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children. That, watch verse 6, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children. Know what? Verse 7, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart. 
did not prepare, did not seek the Lord, and whose spirit, watch this, whose spirit was not faithful to God. They weren't loyal to God. They didn't rely on God. They saw God. They knew the commands of God, but in their stubbornness, they rejected the commands and disobeyed. And in their self-reliance, they rejected faith and dependence and relied on themselves. Verse 34 of chapter 78 says, and when God killed them, in other words, they endured the consequence, the catastrophic consequence of ignoring God's will and refusing to rely and put their confidence in him, they suffered consequences. And when he, God, killed them, then they sought him and they returned and they searched diligently for God. So they endured catastrophic consequences. Their heart turned. We're going to seek God and we're going to search diligently for him. Verse 35, they remembered their God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer. I want you to notice verses 36 and 37. But they deceived him with their mouth, and they lied to him with their tongue. For their heart was not steadfast toward him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. All right, this is, this is God's explanation as to why he's not strong on their behalf, why he allowed life difficulty and massive consequences to the people of Israel. Because... First of all, you didn't rely on me. You weren't faithful to trust me. You weren't faithful to seek me and obey me. You endured catastrophic consequences and you had this kind of superficial response, though passionate, like, wow, this is painful. I'm going to seek the Lord. And, and they make these statements of, God, we're going to seek you. We're diligently going to seek you. And we're going to remember the role and the place that you have but they weren't wholehearted. They didn't have a completely his heart. Their words were saying something, but their heart wasn't completely his. They deceived him with their mouth. They said one thing when internally they were really another thing. And what was the other thing? Not loyal, not steadfast, not relying on the Lord, which is what Asa heard from Hanani. You haven't relied on the Lord. You're relying on yourself. You compromised yourself. And you dishonored the Lord and you forfeited incredible blessing. There's a passage in Hosea chapter 6. If you have the time to turn there, I want to read it. It's the same flavor, but I want to punctuate this idea. In Cornerstone, we're all tempted in big moments, in desperate moments, to turn to the Lord. And we should. But we need to remain loyal. We need to stay with it. Because circumstances change, peace goes away, challenges come, realities confront us, and a completely his heart doesn't move. It continues to diligently seek, get after it. It continues to radically remove, get rid of it, and it stays with it. It relies on the Lord. It completely trusts. Hosea chapter 6, listen to the prophet of God. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Listen to this. For your loyalty is like a morning cloud, like the dew which goes away early. It's here for a little while. Put your own name in there. What shall I do with you, Harry? 
What am I going to do with you, Mark, Han, Nathan? You put in your name or your community. What am I going to do with you? Your loyalty is like a morning cloud and like the dew which goes away early. This is what God says because of that lack of loyalty, that stay with itness. Therefore, I have hewn them in pieces by the prophets. Okay, so God says, I, I cut you up to the quick, not literally, but uh, metaphorically. I have hewn them in pieces by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And the judgments on you are like the light that goes forth. Very powerful statement, simply saying the word of God sent by God through his prophets will be the death of your sin or of you, the sinner. My word was such a compelling, confronting, clear, comprehensive, like the light which goes forth from the sun, this undeniable incompatibility with a big God not being trusted loyally by his people. And he sends prophets. He said, judgments are coming, painful judgments. Verse six, you know why judgment's coming? Why my prophets are cutting you deep with words? Why they're forecasting your your death because of your disobedience? Verse six, Hosea six. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. You have the King James, it says, I delight in mercy. If you have the ESV, it says your steadfast love. The big idea is you're faithful. You rely on me. You're not like the wind which blows here and there. Verse 7, but like Adam, they have transgressed the covenant. There they have dealt treacherously against me. I just found that interesting. Hosea likens them to Adam. What did Adam do? He didn't trust God to redeem the failure of the woman. He took matters into his own hands. He violated the covenant of God to obey, to fix a problem that he didn't know how to fix. He entered into her sin. That's what we do when we rely on ourselves. We compound our difficulty because of a lack of, keywords loyalty. A completely his heart has heart loyalty, a heart that's true and faithful in the wind, in the rain, no matter what or no matter who the enemy may be. Now, here's the last thing, number four. A completely his heart is not just a stay with it heart, a loyal heart. I rely on God only heart. It is a deal with it heart when it's not a completely his heart, when it's confronted. It's a deals with it heart. This is a heart that humbly responds and repents when God confronts it. The sad thing about Asa, 35 years, big God display. 36th year, a self-reliant display, a disloyal display, compromise of life driven by a desperate, in his view, situation, life challenge. He compromises. The Lord sends the prophet. The prophet makes the statement, you've acted foolishly. From that time on, you're going to face wars. 
Verse 10, watch Asa's reaction. Then Asa was angry with the seer. Some of your Bibles will say enraged because it's a big passion explosion. He was angry with the seer and put him in prison, literally the house of stocks. He shackled him. The, 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 the flavor behind the word prison is not just they put him in a cell, but he shackled him to torture him. For he was enraged at him for this. And Asa, not only did he, was he enraged with the prophet, but apparently those who supported the prophet and Asa oppressed, treated cruelly some of the people at that same time. He didn't like what he heard. He reacted to what he heard. And he responded in a way that says, I don't receive this. I'm not going to deal with this. I'm not going to listen to this. I don't like this. What Asa displayed was a heart that says, I'm not going to deal with this. I'm going to ignore this. I'm going to deny this. I'm not going to be confronted by this and address this. Here's my final thought to you. Completely his heart is not a perfect heart. It's not I don't always fail or I don't always succeed heart. It is, it is a heart that sometimes fails and fumbles. Who besides Jesus Christ, is going to be faithful to God all the time? Who is going to rely on God all the time? Who is going to have a completely his heart all the time? Nobody. So when we fall short of getting after it, when we fall short of getting rid of it, what should be gotten rid of, the competition to God, when we fall short in staying with it, as it relates to the, the way and will of God and trust in God exclusively. When, when we're confronted with that, when we become aware of that, whether it's a prophet of God who shows up inspired by the Spirit of God, and I don't mean literally, but God sends somebody to speak to us, we need to have a deal with it heart. I'm going to address it. That's a completely his heart. A heart that says, God... I'm going to deal with this out of humility and out of recognition that I want to have a heart that enjoys the display of your unrivaled glory. I want to have a heart that impacts my family and friends. I want you to show yourself strong for me, not because I'm self-reliant, but I'm God dependent. As we conclude today, there's a kind of a sad conclusion of Asa's life, which is in some ways, sobering and shocking because he never really got it. He only reigned 41 years. In his 39th year, verse 12, in the 39th year of his reign, this is 2 Chronicles 16, Asa became diseased in his feet. Okay, so now his problem wasn't external, northern kingdom, Israel. It wasn't war. It was health. He was diseased in his feet. His disease was severe. And then this sad statement. Yet, even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. Now listen, no, no, not wrong to get medicinal medical help. The problem with that is if you rely on that help and you don't rely on the Lord's help, 
the implication of this verse is the enemy that came against you was pressure to turn your heart more fully to be completely his. Failed that test, got angry as a consequence of that failure when confronted. So here comes a health test. It's not collective. It's not the people of God. It's my body, my person, two years, severe. And they don't tell us what that is, but you can imagine if it's diseased enough where it's noted here as severe, he's challenged, but he's stubborn. And instead of seeking the Lord, implication is he, it should have turned his heart toward God. And it didn't. He relied on man-made solutions exclusively instead of God centrally. So as I wrap up today, here's my, my kind of concluding questions to just do personal inventory and say, listen, what resolutions do I need to make that I haven't made to seek the Lord? What things do I need to implement and resolve to do in order to proactively seek the Lord? What areas do I need to courageously act in to remove competition to God? What stuff needs to go? I mean, one of the realities of all this shelter at home is you don't have a lot of things that you would normally do. So it's not hard to become dependent on things that are distractions instead of helpful tools to move me towards the things of God. What needs to go? What courageous actions do you need to take to have your heart be completely his? And will you do what David said he would do, Psalm 27, verse 8? When you said, this is David to God, Psalm 27, verse 8, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, O Lord, thy face I will seek. Stay with it, and if somebody confronts you, deal with it, and let God display his glory. Completely his heart is an all-in heart for God with an all-out trust in God. Be that kind of person, because the Lord, his eyes are still searching for someone whose heart is completely his, so that he, God, can put on a display that not only glorifies him, but will be a blessing to you and those around you. That's my encouragement to you today. And I hope that challenges you. It's been a, a challenge to me. And so my call today is not a shelter at home, but seek at home challenge. Don't just survive this, flourish in this. That's my hope and prayer. May God bless you to that end. Let me pray. Father, I thank you today for the opportunity we have shared to open your word. Lord, there is so much perspective that can be extracted from this vivid life story of a king who was godly. Lord, who came up short at the end. He enjoyed blessing. He endured loss. What a lesson for us. And I pray, even as Paul said to the Corinthians, that we will learn from this example to live in a way that enjoys undeniable evidence of God in our life 
and to live in a way that impacts others for the glory of God in our life. And Lord, to that end, we need help. Help us to have sensitive hearts, uh, listening ears, and courageous convictions. Uh, Lord, I, I read this morning that Asa's son, Jehoshaphat, he saw what he needed to see, and he lived out what he needed to live out. He enjoyed what his father had enjoyed. And I'm grateful for the fact that we can fumble and fail even at the end. But our children and those who witness our life can gain good from what they've seen, both the good and not so good. So, Lord, encourage us today and give us hope. Use us for your glory. Thank you for the word of God and the ways of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, Cornerstone, God bless you. Have a great Sunday. I've enjoyed spending the time with you. God bless.